You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I am unfortunately not Jeff Keeley. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond, a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to have lots to say about the Summer Game Fest today, and we made a tiny change to the show's structure. We've been discussing this internally, and we thought maybe we're going to try something out and actually just get rid of our side quests. Uh, segment. Yes, but not, uh, we should be clear, not getting rid of those discussions should they come up. So it's not like we're saying, all right, no more news articles, no more uh, human interest piece, no more game updates. It's just when it's relevant. When it's relevant, then we bring it in and then we have like a more focused show. The idea is also to keep it a little bit shorter Mm. and we can obviously still bring in those articles. We just make an episode about it then and maybe it's going to be a shorter episode or a longer episode. Who knows? You never know what's going to happen on this very podcast. We're going to try this out for four weeks and see how it goes. And obviously, we would much appreciate your feedback. I know it always hurts, but the times, they are (laughs) a-changing. And actually, this corresponds to my transformational process when it comes to the way I play video games. Because if you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know that I've learned over time a little bit not to be um, too obsessed with completionism and to instead go with the flow or sometimes just leave things on the side if something is not particularly interesting to me. If there is no inherent value in me doing it, then maybe I'll just leave it and continue on and enjoy my life, basically. (laughs) I think that's that's fair, especially as you have more commitments during the day and during the week. It's uh, it, You don't want to make something that you enjoy like a completionist chore with video games, right? So I think we have the same, not that we, I don't think either of us felt that the side quests were a chore, but no, no, no. That this will make for some more interesting conversations and more focused conversations, like you said. And speaking of, speaking of the way that you play games, it should be noted, you have finished Elden Ring. Is that correct? Yes, <laughs> I am Elden Lord. Elden Lord, <laughs> ah, my liege. <laughs> and I wish to be addressed as such, henceforth. Well, congratulations. <laughs> what what did you clock in at, like 200 plus hours? Yeah, 210 hours. Mm. Man. 210 hours for one playthrough, and I have a trophy completion rate of 70-something percent, I think. Not bad. That's I did a whole impressive lot. for one playthrough. Thank you, yes. I looked through the trophies, and I know that there are a couple of things, like two or three trophies that I could fairly easily get, because mm. they are just simply uh, bosses that I have missed or overlooked because I didn't go down the particular path. Yeah. But I really got a lot of stuff. Yet there are a whole lot of like legendary armaments, for example, Mm. in Elden Ring that you must collect in order to get, I think, even a golden trophy. I'm not quite sure. I think so. But I even got that just like that because I've been so thoroughly exploring. Oh, that's that's impressive because what I usually have to do in those games is I'll, I have to backtrack and come up with a list of all the things that I need so that I can find them. So it's very, I'm very impressed that you've you found them in one playthrough. That's pretty cool. Mm, it's just because the, that's actually how I learned that I need to let go of some things because admittedly towards the end, like maybe even three quarters through, Elden Ring was still very enjoyable, still mm. probably one of the best games I've ever played in my life. However, I just had this nagging thought in my head whenever I played it, this needs to end soon. Mm-hmm. I'm running I'm running low here. I'm running low on energy to continue and fight this. There's a boss called the Ulcerated Tree Spirit. Oh, 
which oh, you can yeah. encounter very early on in the game. And then you just encounter them, I think, another like 50 times throughout mm-hmm. the game. And it just changes from four... Like for the next 10 times when you encounter it, then you think like, oh, wow, all of a sudden this fight, I'm not prepared for it. And you panic and then you engage. The next 20 times you just think like, oh, this This again. (laughs) (laughs) I've beaten this dude like 30 times now and it still comes back. Yeah. Well, I think when you get to the point, you don't want to sour yourself on a game. And I think that I remember I I almost got that way with Breath of the Wild, where I think I put off Breath of the Wild for longer than I wanted because I was worried about the completionist in me. And then when I played it, I just did what I wanted and had maybe the, one of the best gaming experiences of my life. So you got to kind of yeah, let right. go, I think. Yeah, you got to let go a little bit also in favor of your own enjoyment, because mm-hmm. if you have a long day and afterwards, maybe in the evening, you've got maybe two hours to play a video game. I just don't want to sit there and go along with a with a checklist to just basically work my way through something. It yep. resembles work too much <laughs> for me. Yep. Uh, that being said, one last thought on Elden Ring. Mm. Up until the very end, this game still continued to challenge me. And this is something that I find very impressive. Not the regular enemies that, more, uh, that much anymore, because I had been at a level at that point that I was pretty strong, I would say. I was mm. decently powerful so that I knew I could overcome the challenges. But then you hit this infamous boss. Yeah. And I think, should I say the name? Is that a spoiler? No, you should say it. The, the name is fine, right? It's Melania. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this is something this that's point. Yeah. infamous. Yes, a boss that she's optional, completely optional. And I know that she was a really tough nut to crack at the beginning already. And yeah. over time, they have patched all kinds of ways out. So you cannot cheese her anymore. Like, cheese, when I say cheese the boss, I mean, you could, for example, glitch up a tiny area on the outside of the, the arena. And then you wouldn't get hit by her attacks and you yeah. could just take her down slowly. This is not possible anymore. And she's so powerful that that was the kind of boss where I just felt like I'm not even I'm not even going to bother on my own. I'm just going to summon cooperators. And even then, it took me two days of like attempting in the evening constantly yeah. to take her down. It, it That's one of those bosses like when I played Sekiro, where I thought, oh, maybe I can't do this. Maybe this is, I've, I've reached a point in my video game career where I'm unable to play this boss. <laughs> but, yeah, I just can't play this game anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It was such an enjoyable journey. I got a wonderful ending that I'm very happy with. And I know that there are a lot more that I watched on YouTube. And, and it was such a satisfying experience. And I can only say for anyone who hasn't done so already, which I think half the world population has already, <laughs> it's totally worth it. Mm. It's long, it's extensive, it's tough, but it's so worth it. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting more about the narrative of it with you. And uh, that'll be fun to to get into. So congratulations, Elden Lord. <laughs> uh, thank you so very much. And thank you out there for enjoying this show. If you do that, If you like it and if you want to help us make it happen, then you can support us by joining Studying Pixels Plus. Because, yeah, we need to keep the mics on somehow. Hmm. There you get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You'll get a lovely sticker and monthly plus episodes. Go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And in the meantime, we move ahead and have a chat about Summer Game Fest because that's exactly what happened, I think, two days ago now, right? Three days ago? Yeah, yeah, earlier this week as you're listening to this. A beautiful summer event hosted by Jeff Keighley who has very much established himself by now as kind of the um, ambassador of video games. Can we say we're going to talk about some highlights and lowlights of the show, but do we agree that Jeff Keighley's the best part of any of these? Just his... (laughs) His general demeanor and and enthusiasm. He's enthusiastic, he's charismatic, and most importantly, he's authentic. Yes. Yeah. I How think- many times have we had these kind of shows on showcases where you have, where you, let's say you have a contractor, someone who's mm. maybe a good host in general, but has no relation to video games, have them host such a show, and it just comes off as a bit weird. Whereas with Jeff Keighley, it's, I think, for the first time that I can remember that it feels so organic. Everything just clicks into place. You can tell that he's thinking about it all the time. And that's something that I really appreciate because like you say, you could hire whoever, but if they don't know how to pronounce game titles or they don't know the people who work on them, it comes off very quickly. And and Jeff Keighley seems to be Mr. Networker <laughs> with the it, video yeah. game community. So it's it's worth it, I think, just to watch him be excited about video games. I must say, though, I'm getting a little bit worried about the this influence of Jeff Keighley. Ah. Because the thing is that we had, usually, we had like several big events that mm. spread throughout the year. And these events would be organized by different entities and would have a different framework. Right. Whereas now, it feels to me like we've got there at three big events each year. The Game Awards, the Summer Game Fest, which we're going to talk about, and there's Gamescom Opening Night Live, mm. um, which is also hosted by Jeff Keighley. And it feels to me almost like as if you want to make it big in the industry, uh, then you need to go past this, past this dude. And yeah. <laughs> I'm not, that, I'm not, I don't mean to say that that's his fault. I mean, he basically seizes the opportunity. He's got a good talent. He's very good at what he does. Very dedicated and very mm. passionate. But I wonder, are we going down a slope where? We have just like these three major events each year. And then everything's kind of like split up in separate communities, such as the PlayStation State of Play, you know, the Nintendo Treehouse and and whatnot, or Nintendo Direct. I find that a bit of a shame. I, I miss this kind of like integrating function, which the Game Awards have, I think. But it's all kind of framed in this, uh, yeah, in this Jeff Keighley network. I know exactly what you mean. And actually, maybe that's a good segue into the highlights and lowlights that we have. Because one of my highlights is I'll actually be, I'll be the optimist in this conversation and say that because everything is so fractured, I really like that Jeff Keighley is kind of the fulcrum point of these events. Because I think that we were, during and after the pandemic, we were at this point where things were so disjointed and 
all of the other all of the companies were going their own way that there wasn't really like an E3 event. Now, literally, there's not an E3 event this year to bring everything together, bring everyone in. Even before the pandemic, Sony said, no, we're not doing E3 anymore. So to me, it is nice that there is a... My hope would be that it's not just Jeff Keighley is that guy forever, but that Jeff Keighley is establishing a role as this sort of, as you said, ambassador of video games, which is a, a cool idea, I think, to bring everything together periodically. Yeah, he does really important work there. It must mm. not be underestimated because indeed we've got these things such as console wars. We've got in general as a society, the tendency of people um, becoming more private and retreating yeah. from their public roles, becoming more attached to company names, mm. labels, sub-communities. And I think it's very important in order not to retreat too much into eco chambers that you have a showcase such as Summer Game Fest or the Game Awards where everything coming together and where I can see, for example, as someone who's a total Sony pony, I'm not excluding myself from that consideration, <laughs> where I can see, oh, that's cool. That's on uh, new games for PC or Xbox exclusives, which I'm probably not going to play, but at least I can build, I understand what they are and I can be in touch with that discourse a little bit. I think that's important. Yeah, I think the awareness of it, because that's primarily what this Summer Game Fest felt like to me was just sort of a reminder that video games are happening <laughs> yeah it, it, nothing yeah not, not a whole lot of uh new and exciting information that came out but yeah something about uh, it's like going over to jeff Keeley's house you know i right, we're going to talk about video games for a couple for a little while here so uh everybody come on over and just a quick reminder that this industry is cool and then we'll see you next time yeah and there's always if you go to jeff Keeley's house there's always like uh um uncle kojima san yeah yeah <laughs> who basically always, who always sits in the corner and there's a little bit always like a little bit of a recluse and then he's like you know going through some books by the you know by the by the fireplace <laughs> and then sometimes he would just like slap the book close and everyone will look at him and then he'll stand up and then he will like share his vision yeah. <laughs> with everyone all of a sudden <laughs> a, a brand new game that you won't appreciate until three years after its release is coming out <laughs> yeah yeah he's like this kind of weird uncle of video games that's such a good way to describe kojima he is he's he's the guy who's been around you know, just as long as a lot of the other old favorites. And he's just this, he's just this weirdo who we all love. <laughs> yeah, very much. A weird uncle in a very positive sense. A yes. very enjoyable sense. Uh, I think though that Summer Game Fest overall, if we give like brief opening statements, mm. I found it a very mediocre show. It did not do much for me. It was 90 minutes long and that is probably at least 30 minutes longer than it should have been. Mm. I feel like they didn't have enough to show. And that brought the entire thing a little bit to a level where I felt like, okay, this is really not the Game Awards. And it's not E3 as we knew it five years ago. No, definitely not. I think that's why it felt it felt more to me like a check-in in, in this, if I could call it that, where it's not... Actually, I don't know if you saw this, Stefan, but... Jeff Keighley tweeted before the Games Fest, he said, I just want to make it clear that this is this is not going to be a lot of new announcements. This is going to be showcases of things that we know are coming and updates and things like that. So I definitely had a different expectation going into this that I don't think a lot of people shared. I think a lot of people were hoping for God of War and uh, you know Breath of the Wild 2 and all the stuff that we might expect from the Game Awards or E3, and that's just not what this is for, I don't think. Not what it can be for, because mm -hmm. if there was anything to share on God of War, 
you know, where it would be on Sony's right. state of play. And if there was anything on Breath of the Wild 2, it would be at Nintendo Direct. They would yeah. do their entire Direct about that. They wouldn't just, cra- They of course, they would cram in like a three to four minute trailer at the Game Awards or something, but only after the news has already been out and the main part has already been shown at their own event because that's what they'd want to draw all eyes towards. I think it's an important thing that such events happen, but I must say that we need to really temper our expectations mm. when it comes to that. And yeah. maybe then we can take a glimpse at the highlights and lowlights of it in a nuanced and differentiated way. Yeah, I think that's that's a good a good place to start. It was a little a little <laughs> mediocre is a good word for it, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you already shared shared a highlight of yours, which was Jeff Keighley, right? Jeff Keighley yeah. himself. I think I think Jeff just to circle back to that, Jeff Keighley and just the culture of Summer Games Fest. I really appreciate mm. that there's this, uh, like I said, a, a check-in with the industry just to say, hey, you know, uh, we all love video games despite all our differences with uh, consoles and company alignments and all that stuff. Isn't it cool to just talk about this great medium? So I definitely mm. felt that watching it. And I, I'll always appreciate Keeley for that. I think that Keeley is a particularly befitting host because he's not scared yeah i remember <laughs> well it's kind of a you would kind of say it's kind of a prerequisite for any kind of hosting you gig you shouldn't be horrified when you oh go God, the ca- all these cameras oh what am i doing <laughs> major imposter syndrome there yeah. <laughs> but i do think that when i mean he's not scared what I actually mean to say, like, he's authentic, not in the way that you would say, like, we need a real gamer on stage to host these things, but he's authentic in his engagement with video game culture. For yes. example, I do remember that at the Game Awards, everyone was kind of like um, mocking him and having a go at him for not taking a clearly, a clear, a sufficiently clear stance on the Activision Blizzard issue. Mm. And then he spoke out very clearly on the show. Right. And a similar thing with Summer Game Fest, where he very clearly addressed the war in Ukraine, mm. for example, and spoke about a Ukrainian developer studio that couldn't show their game. Others might have just simply basically left that out because they don't want to get politically involved. You never know with the Russian market in the future, the consequences. Nobody wants to upset Vladimir Putin, right? <laughs> but I think it's it's kind of cool that he addresses matters such as these but also you know the aspects of diversity in a kind of organic and self-evident matter because he knows that these conversations are ongoing in video game culture and that's why they have their place at summer game fest as well i'm reminded of um you you mentioned kojima i'm reminded of when he he spoke out and said he he wanted to be here but there were problems with a certain company that wouldn't allow him to be here (laughs) And that that takes a lot of guts. So yeah, I agree with you. I think he's not in your face or or uh, I don't know obnoxious about it. He's just honest and and doesn't shy away from difficult topics, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. He's not Jim Stephanie Sterling, <laughs> right? <laughs> Going directly for the throat on every situation. Which, yeah. <laughs> again, I appreciate uh, Jim Sterling for that. So it's, it all has its uh. place, but it would be it would be a very different Summer Games Fest if Jim Stephanie Sterling hosted it. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be fun for like one year oh, just being be like great. and then and then always sees like mostly games that nobody knows of course yeah uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just like gonna be the entire showcase is just gonna be about like 
bashing Activision. Yeah, yeah. Every second, every two minutes. Calling people <laughs> out by name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to, I was so excited here to show off our new gameplay for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And it's like, yeah, I bet you really like showing off how you mistreated your employees yeah. for years, didn't you? <laughs> Just like that, I get. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want this now. <laughs> it, that would be really cool. Yeah. Maybe in cooperation with Devolver Digital. There you go. Yep. <laughs> the inroads there. Okay, so a highlight for me was that Summer Game Fest was really a great treat for horror connoisseurs. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy horror games, especially if you enjoy sci-fi horror games, then you had a whole lot of delicious things being announced. Monsters in Space, the show. Yeah, and one after another. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> One after another. There was, I mean, they started off, I think, with Aliens Dark Descent, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. Uh, then they went in, which is going to come out in 2023. Then they, we got a little bit of an extended look at the Callisto Protocol, which is going to come out on 2nd of December, 2022. And the Callisto Protocol is Probably, probably one of my actual highlights of the entire show. I agree. We'd seen it before, so it was not a surprise, but it's just so delicious to see what can develop, literally develop, if you don't have uh, like EA interfering with the process and basically strangling the idea behind Dead Space and just basically let it flourish and become what it is supposed to be. I'm really excited for that because Dead Space is one of the few games in recent memory, I say recent memory, you know, in (laughs) the last decade or so, that I remember actually being scared in because there's a lot of games that I play where I more appreciate that it's horror because I really love horror movies. I'm a big horror fan. I don't get scared easily, but Dead Space did scare me and I get the same vibe from Callisto Protocol. And the, Yeah, it's by the devs. By, oh yeah. At least the core part of the creative team. Well, that's why games. I'm, I'm excited. And I think that, that what they showed gave me that kind of tingling feeling of, oh, this is going to be a game to play in the dark at night. Yeah. <laughs> It's just this dedication that they say very clearly in interviews as well. We want to make the scariest game you've ever played. That's the goal. That's what we're going to do. You know, we don't need any kind of, no, like surprise mechanics or something in there. We're just going to try and scare you. And if you enjoy that, then get the game and have fun with it, basically. There's also such things like layers of fears, which we can address a little bit later on because we're going to have to talk about it in a bit more detail. <laughs> There's Fort Solace, a space thriller with Troy Baker, who plays Joel in The Last of Us, who is now in every video game. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Roger Clark, who actually, and I didn't know this just by the name, I only identified him by his voice, is Arthur from Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm, great voice. And uh, wonder, oh man. I mean, both of these are really amazing voice actors and presumably there are a whole lot more wonderful talents involved mm. in the creation of Fort Solace. It's going to be like a space thriller and um, it was directly followed by a game called Routine, which had been apparently announced a decade ago. And then... I don't know what happened. Maybe it slipped behind a shelf or something. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> and they just found it and they're like, oh, <laughs> oh we wanted to make that games as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is still an old trailer. Still good. Yeah. <laughs> still <yeah>. edible. <laughs> still edible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've got basically, we've got a whole series. We've got five different horror games. Four out of them are space horror games. And that's, uh, yeah, cool. On the one hand, because if you like that genre, you're really going to enjoy it. On the other, and Jeff Keighley kind of hinted at that, it's also, it kind of blurs into one another. When I was yeah. watching through Summer Game Fest, I thought like, uh, if, if you 
closed your eyes for 30 seconds and opened them again, you could not quite tell, is this still the same game or is it already the next one? Because they look so similar. They, it just feels to me like a, a weird scheduling thing where, yeah, it's, it all kind of blended together. And I'm, a, I'm excited for any new horror game. But yeah, I think that contributed to the mediocrity feeling that we're talking about where it's just, okay, well, looks like we're getting a lot of my favorite my favorite article that i read reacting to it was um they're shooting troy baker into space <laughs> so that's, that's the most enjoyment i got out of those trailers apart from Callisto <laughs> protocol <laughs> ah, i think from what i've seen i must say i'm most curious about routine the mm. game that fell behind the shelf because i have no clue what that's going to be yeah. Mm, the trailer looked very intriguing and mm. it looked like a more slow paced, uh, creepy game. We'll see what comes of it. Yep. Well, I had that. Speaking of just games that were shown, another highlight for me was uh, the Cuphead DLC looks really fun. The delicious last course. Did you ever oh, did you ever play through Cuphead? <laughs> yes, I yeah. have. It's great. A wonderful video game. It's beautiful. And so I'm obviously very excited for that just because I love I love that style and I love the game. Um, I will say that I I perked up at that, but you just lyrically referenced the Game Awards showcase of it, which had this beautiful yeah. old-timey song that was sung live by these women dressed in these incredible costumes from the 1910s and 20s. And so it did kind of feel like, how do you follow that up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Was, uh, oh, but I think yeah. they followed it up in the best way possible because mm. they just said, uh, we brought a boss fight and then you just watched the whole boss fight from that beginning cool. to end. Yeah, that, I, I did really appreciate that. So yeah, I'm excited for that. I think uh, I don't want to downplay how cool the Cuphead DLC is, um, but I think it goes with my thought that this is more of a check-in event. Like, remember, these are still happening <laughs> as, as yeah. opposed to look at these big announcements and releases. Do you know whether you can play Cuphead online by now? Oh, I don't know that. That would be that would because be fun. I remember the <laughs> <to> co-op. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean when it came out, it was only possible in couch co-op, if I recall correctly. And mm -hmm. it might be that that is still the case. Yeah, but that would be that would be a lot of fun. We should we should look into that more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to bring a low light though, mm. because something that Cuphead was the exception for was that. There were so many guns yeah. in this showcase. I wrote just down here with a thumb down, I wrote guns, guns, guns. <laughs> that was one of the first thoughts that I had while watching this showcase. I don't have a categorical problem with shooting a gun in a video game. We did a whole two reading episodes actually on the matter, but it's just it just gets old quickly when every trailer starts with some kind of like you know, and then yeah. it's like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> and you just feel, ah, is this again, another game? What am I going to shoot? Here I'm going to shoot aliens. Here I'm going to shoot some kind of like soldiers. What am I going to shoot here? Demons. It, it's just so samey and it lacks ideas. Well, I wish that there was more creativity in how we engage with the world than just looking down, uh, simply, uh, you know, aiming a gun. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it it just feels very samey, and I think it it goes into everything kind of blurs together, right? I there's a I don't I don't have a prerequisite for what a game needs to be because I enjoy all kinds of different games, as I know we both do. But I totally agree. Where the the third time you see somebody cock a gun, you're like, all right, all right, another. <laughs> I know I know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a problem with creative diversity, and I mean diversity not in a 
political sense here, but in a f- sense of aesthetics and, mm. and ideas, also narratives. And I do think that also ties into a political problem because we kind of have this almost default way of engaging with the world in video games, which is with violence, where in, in Call of Duty, by, for example, the uh, trailer, you never really had any section where the character would even, you know, like hold their, lower their gun. Yeah. Even if they did other things, right? It's like you always look at the world while aiming down the sights. And I think it just, it gets old, it's boring, and it also conveys a certain message. I'm not saying, uh, like, uh, I'm not proposing a model of direct causation, mm. but I'm saying that it kind of gets us into the habit of just assuming that, yeah, that's how conflicts are resolved. That's how the world just works. Shooting and or violence is just like a self-evident part of what we do in video games. And I think that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that it just, I mean, at the very least, you mentioned diversity. I would say lack of variety. I'm not a big, I'm not, I'm not a big first person shooter fan. I do play them like I like them, but I don't seek them out. And I would think even mm. if I did seek them out, I would feel kind of fatigued by it at this point. But I don't know. I, I, it's just the feeling that I get. I agree with you. Well, one of my lowlights is something that we kind of touched on. And that's, even though I appreciate that Jeff Keighley is sort of keeping everything together as the ambassador of video games, that fracture feeling is definitely apparent in this in this setup. Because as you said, you're not going to hear about God of War because that's going to happen on the state of play. You're not going to hear about Breath of the Wild 2 because that's going to happen on Nintendo Direct. You're probably not going to hear about Elder Scrolls because that's going to happen on this Xbox Bethesda thing. So yeah. I think the idea of the the big convention or the the big event where everybody goes to sort of hawk their wares and let everybody know, that seems to be downsized at this point where everything is sort of, there's too many avenues <laughs> to figure out your news and I, I do kind of miss, you know, E3 of 2004, where everybody was there and they all showed what was coming. And there, there is something lost there, I think, when everybody split up like this. Yeah, E3 was also almost like, I mean, it, was, it always had a certain performativity to it. It mm-hmm. was always a performance of where each company, each publisher and each game is represented in a certain way. I still remember very fondly when uh, Sony went into a completely different direction than everyone else and just said, like, we, you sit down in a decorated cinema with a live orchestra and we're just going to show you three games today. Yeah. And everyone was kind of, like, baffled. And it's just gameplay running for, like, I think 18 minutes of God of War accompanied by a live orchestra. And you just think, like, wow, this is amazing. Just as much as I want to say that what Microsoft did was exactly the opposite of just saying, here, we've got like 80 different world premieres for you. And that also has its own aesthetic quality to have this like quick yeah. fire thing of like, these are all the things that we're going to, that we're going to bring to the table. It's kind of lost amongst all these different split communities. And it feels to me now that E3 is essentially gone. I mean, will it ever be able to resume its place? I think not, mm-hmm. at least not what we, the one that we were used to and the one that we reference when we say E3. I think the Game Awards will take that place. I think so. And that's kind of a shame because it is it is nice to have everything in that one place and have that feel like this yearly celebration of everybody involved in the industry. But I will say there is obviously some upsides to having this diversity here where you 
uh, I don't know, maybe if you, if you want to seek things out, you know when a company's showcase is going to be, so you can kind of know what to expect when you go there. So it has its ups and downs, but it definitely felt to me like, all right, we're, I, I personally think E3 will not come back. I don't think it can. Um, between the problems with the pandemic and now everybody being so fractured, I think it's kind of a relic, which is kind of sad, but also we got to move on. So here we are. My guess is actually, it's just speculation, but I would assume when E3 returns, and I think they will definitely try to bring it back. Mm. The thing is, what can their place possibly be? We've got all these different events like streaming events that all the publishers do. We've got Summer Game Fest, which is like an, let's say, online um, event. It's also like a streamed event, right? With no local audience so far, because it was created during the pandemic, if I recall correctly. Mm. And it always, it's kind of, it has this live streaming status of bringing the community together. I think when E3 comes back, they're going to have a long conversation with Jeff Keighley mm. and potentially, that's just my speculation, arrange for... E3 and Summer Game Fest to merge mm. into something where E3 is basically kind of the local celebration of Summer Game Fest, which is like a streamed online showcase. You may be right. I'm thinking back to Jeff Keighley's Twitter feed, where when E3 was announced that it was not going to be happening, he seemed uh, devilishly delighted <laughs> about the future. So. <laughs> ah, such a shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we take a brief break? Yes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we are back talking about Summer Game Fest, our high and low lights. And I must say, I criticized there to be a lot of guns. And at the same time, I've got one highlight that actually has a gun in it. And it's not Call mm. of Duty. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I might enjoy Call of Duty and play it when it comes out, but it was not, not, not a highlight of the show. Instead, I picked Metal Hellsinger. Oh, very weird this one. This looks so cool. I, I, <laughs> this, this, I'm glad you put this as a highlight because the only reason I didn't list it as one of my highlights is because you put it as yours and I didn't want to be repetitive, but boy, oh, oh boy. <laughs> this is <looks> so cool. <laughs> this is basically a total Doom clone. This is as if you mm. took Doom, it looks uglier, obviously, and it's going to play worse. <laughs> it's like made by a small team and they probably are very inspired by Doom. And it's all it goes all out on bringing in high-profile metal singers and musicians and making it all about rhythm. It's essentially a rhythm game where you play, uh, let's say, a budget version of Doom, but you have to shoot and act in the rhythm of the music. And I think... That's just an interesting idea because while I was playing Doom Eternal, I constantly felt like that was the case already. And Metal Hellsinger yeah. basically makes it a, re a reality. I think you're right. I think it's playing through Doom. You probably feel like, oh, I love that this this moment of you know a kill shot or something is the music changes and it and it feels like everything is you know connected in one in one way here. I feel like the people behind Metal Hellsinger said, well, wouldn't that be cool if that was the whole game? Yeah, and 
yes, it would be cool. And I can't wait for it. <laughs> That's probably how it came about. They probably were sitting together yeah. and they were like, oh, I really like doing, you know what I like the most about it is the music. And they're like, hmm, yeah, me too. It's like, okay, <laughs> I get that. Yes. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm you, not, uh, I don't, yeah. I was going to ask, are you a fan of rhythm games generally? Yeah, I wouldn't call myself a fan. I I don't have a problem with a, a good rhythm game every now and then. I'm a musician yeah. and I love making music. And naturally, I'm curious about rhythm games as well. But I think I didn't play many. The last one I played must have been uh, Persona uh, Dancing All Night or something. That was a Persona oh, yeah. 4 rhythm game. Yeah, well, I, I really like them. There's something... Uh, really satisfying to me about the not not so much guitar hero or rock band but games that integrate music into the gameplay like that like one of my favorite games for the 3ds was uh, theater rhythm final fantasy the game that took final fantasy music and made it you know you have four little characters who level up and everything but the way that you fight quote unquote is by hitting the beats of different final fantasy songs ah so cool i'm i'm all about this i i think it it looks cool it's a great idea and a really great way to break up the monotony of all the troy baker and space games <laughs> yeah yeah especially yeah. because it's so different it's like you can easily justify having lots of guns in your video game if there's some kind of interesting idea attached to it and yeah. in the case of metal hellsinger uh, that's definitely the case i don't remember whether we actually got a release date but it's uh, it can't be far off it's surely one that i look forward to yeah well i am heading into the low light territory right now uh and so one of the things that i feel like we should touch on is is naughty dog going to rest on their laurels for the rest of time <laughs> because i love the last of us i think we all do we all appreciate the last of us but if the theme of summer games fest was fatigue and monotony man alive like i i don't care about this remaster or this this re-release of the last of us and the reason I don't is because we already had one a couple years ago for the PS4. And it just worries me that this incredibly talented studio is not, it doesn't seem like they're looking to do anything new. And it, that is very worrisome to me. So I could not care less about this re-release of The Last of Us, to be frank with you. <laughs> I, th I feel the same way. I mean, uh, only talking specifically about that the last of us re re re-release <laughs> because it is it is right we had the yeah, original game yeah. then we had the remaster and now we have uh, the last of us part one which is going to be again the entire game remade from the ground up with the engine and the technical capabilities of the last of us part two i think it does look nice, like the brief comparison shots that they that they showed where you see like how Ellie's face changes and how she just seems a lot more as an authentic person as she seemed in The Last of Us Part 2. And also the idea of bringing, you know, the advanced AI functionalities from the second game and the combat from the second game into the first. All of that makes perfect sense. And I do get the idea that you want to give people an opportunity to play a definitive version of that game because The Last of Us is sure. still great. The only issue that I have with it, though, is that it's such they, they make such a big deal of it because yeah. it's I mean, OK, fair enough. They put a lot of effort into this. This is not going to be just like a little bit upscaled or something, but it's also not like a major announcement that in this case was placed at the end of the show as almost like, you know, this is the big thing that we end the show with. And for that, it just wasn't strong enough. It was just like, OK, Last of Us is coming out again, I guess. Uh, 
cool. It's not gonna, that's not gonna be the reason why I play it again because I've played no. it twice already or three times. I don't remember. Yeah. But okay. I mean, it's fine, but it speaks to how mediocre the show overall was that that is kind of the point that it ended on. I totally agree. And I think that for me, I, I do understand, as you said, the, the hope or the want to have a definitive edition, but I always just think, well, I thought that that's kind of what the PS4 re-release was meant to be like a director's cut kind of situation where everything was upscaled. So I, I do, I, I get it, but it just seems like it's too quick. And the reason that I said that I was worried is because it reminds me of other game companies that do this, where they just stick to one game forever. And I mean, the obvious example is what Skyrim, right? I, I mean, how at a certain point it smacks of, well, we know you'll buy it again. So we're just going to re-release it. You know, not to diminish any of the work that's going into this definitive edition, because it, it does, as you say, look incredible, but I just don't care. <laughs> and mm. I, I feel that I, I worry that a company like Naughty Dog will fall back on just their old hits and not look to the future. And that's a shame if that's what this is heading towards. They have to be quite careful, yeah. Because the thing is yeah. that, um, of course, you can say we want people to have this definitive version to experience the game, but really, by now, everyone who is genuinely curious about The Last of Us will have already played the game, <laughs> either yeah. in its original form or its remaster, maybe before part two came out. And it might be that now this comes out and this is something more of a of a long burn where it's like, in the throughout the next couple of years, whenever someone wants to go into it, they can go. They can turn to The Last of Us Part One, but it doesn't seem to be a reason for me to replay it because I really, no. unless I feel like I want to go back to it anyway, it's this alone is not motivation enough to make me return to it. Well, I'll give you a couple of other examples of situations like this where I'm more amenable to it because it just it it feels more like the point is what you just described, like keeping this for longevity's sake, right? Ghost of Tsushima had a PS5 re-release, Death Stranding also, even Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade. All three of these were games that kind of came out at the tail end of the PS4's lifespan. And so uh, Neo, Neo and Neo 2, right? Like there, there's a lot of games that came out on the PS4 that they upscaled a bit, made look really nice. They run really well on the PS5. And you can tell that the idea behind that is sort of, well, the PS5 is going to be around for at least another five or six years. We would like this to be the way that you experience these games. Fine, totally fine. But to make such a big deal out of something like that, like in all three of those cases, even Square Enix didn't really make a huge deal out of Intergrade. And they had way more content than this Last of Us remake is, is having. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, imagine at the time when The Last of Us came out originally, I played it back to back with um, that game company's journey. And mm. I can't possibly fathom what it would look like for that game company to make such a big deal out of every single journey re-release. Where they're like, we're yeah. bringing Journey <laughs> to PS4, Journey Remastered, and then like Journey, the definitive edition. The definitive <laughs> <It's> like, edition. <laughs> Come on, it's just uh, you know, basically just never mind. Yeah. I, I yeah. do think yeah. no. <laughs> I do think I do think they need to watch out. They need to be careful. I have still enough faith in Naughty Dog and in their talent mm. that I would assume that apart from this, they're working on something new. That's what they hinted at at Summer Game Fest as well. They did uh, when Neil Druckmann was there and and he said that he's he basically confirmed he's what everybody knows is that he's working on a new project that he's not yet willing to share. They also brought two other things that I think 
are a little bit, well, interesting and peculiar at the same time. The first is that they showed a concept art of a The Last of Us multiplayer game, which is going to be inspired by the Frontiers mode, which was already part of the first game originally, and I played it for quite a bit. It was very enjoyable. So they make a, make its own thing out of that. They are really milking The Last of Us. Well, and I do wonder, because who knows what goes on behind the the curtains at these big companies, especially when Sony's involved. Maybe it's the case that as as well as The Last of Us has done, they're basically saying hey you can you can work on this new project but you owe us this and you need to you need to put this out i don't know that that's the case but it very well might be i i I mentioned square enix i mean the reason kingdom hearts 3 didn't come out for a decade was because it was tangled up in final fantasy 15 that needed to come out beforehand so these things do happen yeah although i think that with naughty dog it's most likely the case that they just grew so big now that they can have several subdivisions and teams working on different projects having a couple True. of people that are work that are working very consistently on bringing this the last of us part 1 to life and then probably a bigger team that works on this multiplayer game which might be interesting i'm i'm surely interested to see what such a multiplayer focused naughty dog game might look like mm. and then obviously the biggest team probably working on the pre-production of that still secret project but they also brought one screenshot <laughs> from <laughs> the The Last of Us TV show showing off the actors. No context, no real further announcements as to release date or any such thing. And I must say, considering that this last section, that was the end of the show, uh, the big Naughty Dog section, they really stretched things very thin. It it was, it felt to me a like... Screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> a screenshot of the TV show without any interesting or substantial information, uh, maybe apart from, you know, um, the original actors of Joel and Ellie being part of this TV show as well. But it felt to me like, you know, when you have, um, when you have a slice of bread and you just have like a little bit of butter left and you just like be (laughs) rubbing that butter all over the bread to make it, to infuse it with that flavor a little bit. That's exactly what it felt like to me. It was so long, that segment, for what actually it offered content-wise that I found it a little bit disappointing. Also, I don't know if you feel this way, but the idea of a TV show about The Last of Us, what are we what are we upscaling the the imagery for? If it's I mean, doesn't it feel like The Last of Us is already a cinematic experience? I don't know why we need a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was wondering the same thing, and I'm really curious to see how it ends up because we have got these YouTube videos that are like The Last of Us supercuts or Last of Us like movie version where you can yeah, watch yeah. like in four hours, you can watch all the cutscenes uh, attached to one another. Basically like a very long film. And I'm not sure. I would imagine or i hope that naughty dog is aware of this that these things exist and that it's already a very cinematic game and i hope that they don't overestimate their capabilities with this tv show or overestimate potentially underestimate even their audiences because i would assume if this tv show is tied and closely tied to the events of the first game then a lot of people that have played that game might not actually like it because they might say at best it's neat but it's not the same. It, because The Last of Us really relies, no spoilers, but in its ending, it really relies on the tie that you have with Joel, with the characters, with the 
interactivity and the choices that you make in order to make a point. The TV show will not, just by virtue of the linear medium that it is, be able to replicate that. I totally agree. I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got something to add because the Last of Us and the Naughty Dog appearance fits into something that was, I think, the biggest low light that I have here on my list. I called it remasters galore because in actuality, most of the big things that we've seen or that were sold to us as being the big announcements, they were remakes and remasters. This is The Last of Us is probably the biggest one, but also Layers of Fears, which is something that I I much appreciate it. Uh, It's cool. Please give me more Layers of Fear. But the thing is, it's kind of Layers of Fears as far as I'm aware, it's going to be something between a remake of the first, of, of the two existing games and a sort of sequel. I, I'll say this. I, I had two reactions to that. My, my initial reaction was, uh, didn't this come out six years ago? <laughs> am I, am yeah. I losing my mind? And then I realized that it was Layers of Fears, plural. Uh, I will say that I really like Layers of Fear, and I think that the story lends itself to doing something really interesting with adaptation. And I mean, it's it's a game about art and about the horrors of trying to put yourself into your artwork, right? So the idea of doing a remake in that context is interesting to me. So of the remasters or the remakes, that one is the one I'm most interested in, but it's still, okay, not, not really. I don't know how new this is. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The Last of Us, Layers of Fears, and the third one is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, where mm, I just felt, I was honestly confused when this was <laughs> announced. It, I think it was announced before Summer Game Fest, but they were like, mm. hey, here's a new look at new mission and so on. Mm, and I, I just, I don't quite understand. Maybe I should have researched this a little bit more, but I'm aware that Modern Warfare 2 came out in 2009, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, rather. This is also like a remake with some additions to it, as far as I'm aware. Like, please correct me if I'm wrong. You can write into uh, uh, podcast at studyingpixels.com. But I find it very indicative of what was actually there at the show that these three things, the big ones, all relied on established series basically bringing a remake or remaster or some kind of addition to the table rather than revealing something something entirely new. I think it worries me a little bit because I'm I have nothing against remasters. Uh I really liked at the tail end of the PS3 and then for most of the PS4's life there were a lot of great remasters and HD collections and ways to experience games that you wouldn't be able to just buy retail anymore. I really appreciate that. But what's worrisome to me about particularly The Last of Us and this Call of Duty thing is that it just feels like, I said it already, we know they'll buy it. So we're just going to re-release it. We're not going to do anything different. We're maybe going to add a level or a map or something, but that's it. And we know that people will, will get it. And that to me doesn't feel so much like a a motive to to get people interested in your IP or to bring people back who maybe fall, fell off the wagon a little bit. It just seems like really a cash grabby, cynical thing, and that bothers me. Yeah, at least in the way it is announced. If it yeah. were hypothetically part of some kind of announcement reel or like some quick fire announcements, where you know, then it's it's a lot different because then you can just say something like, hey, here's this wonderful game. Here's this character that you knew 15 years ago and 
it's back, remastered, coming out then and then. Right. Uh, that's a whole different story. But these kind of, well, they really are their own category because they are a remaster on the one hand. They also a remake because they change some things substantially and they also add stuff. That seems to me to be like a new category that doesn't really fit within the within the categories that we have so far on talking about video games. I agree. I think it, the thing it most resembles to me is uh, we talked about Star Wars a couple weeks ago when George Lucas, every time he released them, he would make changes. On the one hand, you think, okay, it's a director who wants to make his vision look like what's in his head but on the other hand it's like well are you just doing that to do it at this point <laughs> that's kind of how it feels ah shall i bring my last highlight yes let's end on a on a fun note it's a very short one i just noticed that fleur marty she's the executive producer at w uh, at one sorry <laughs> warner brothers games montreal she was talking about I think Gotham Knights, Gotham when, Knights yeah. when she came on screen. And she, I noticed that she was wearing two Apple Watches. Not one, <laughs> but two on both hands. I think <laughs> that is such a power move. I mean, it really is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love... <laughs> I have an Apple love, Watch on my, on my yeah, left yeah. wrist, and I really like it. It's like a wonderful device. I can immediately see my next appointment, which is, by the way, going to be an interview for this very podcast. Um, and I can see my reminders and my activity and the weather and everything. Cool. But what if I had another one <laughs> on the other arm where I can at the same time do the same thing? Do you think, I wonder, because when I, I noticed that too and it cracked me up and I just, I had this thought in my head that, um, you know, she's, maybe she's in New York and she's like, oh, I, I need to know the time in Montreal. So, but didn't realize that there's a world clock feature on the Apple Watch. <laughs> It's like instead of changing the watch face, you just buy a second yeah. one. <laughs> I, who has time? Who has time to swipe left a couple of times? I need. <laughs> it reminded me. Do you know the show Veep? Yeah, about, yeah. And it's it's like there's this this vice president, and she's trying to somehow uh, you know basically seize power. It's a political comedy, and her assistant is like all over the place with like iPads. He's got like always yeah. like three different iPads that he's juggling. Yeah. <laughs> we always like, think, you know, you can just switch apps. You know, you don't need yeah. to have all these iPads. So funny. <laughs> it's so in, it's so endearing too, because who knows why she's <laughs> she's wearing two of them. But whatever whatever the real answer is, it's not going to be as funny as whatever we're thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, um, shall we gather our concluding thoughts conclusive thoughts on yeah summer game fest do you have something still i do i well i just concluding thoughts i think it just to reiterate what we've been talking about i'm not upset that this happened and i'm not really disappointed but i think it's because i went in with very tempered expectations and also this year is kind of strange for video games because elden ring came out and it feels like nothing else will come out until 2023 <laughs> Yeah, this so, is the thing. If I may yeah. briefly interrupt you. No, uh, please. Not only Elden Ring came out, because I looked up all the games, like the biggest games that have come out so far in this year. Yeah. And that is, the list goes as follows. Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, The Quarry, which came out just very recently, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Sifu, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, Ghostwire Tokyo, Tunic, and so on. In other words, it's not unsurprising. It's completely unsurprising that the show is so thinly stretched because yeah. yeah all of this stuff came out already was so far an absolutely 
amazing and super dense year of video games, and there's just not that much that's slotted in for the next couple of months. Well, and what's interesting about that too is that we've talked before on the show about how the future of video games is going to be quarter one and quarter two. Because it used to be that quarter four, the holidays, that's when people made the big bucks. That's when all these games released. But the pandemic showed that, well, actually quarter one, like January through really June, I would say, it's kind of this fallow period in games. So let's capitalize on that when nothing's coming out. But then, of course, everybody releases it in that time frame. <laughs> so now all the games are out. And I just think, all right, well, not a, not a whole lot of things that could be announced that weren't already announced on other platforms like the Nintendo Direct or the State of Play. So realistically, it's uh, checking in with Jeff and Uncle Kojima <laughs> and see, seeing if he's in the corner there. Um, and uh, just celebrating video games, which it did feel like to me. So I, I did enjoy that aspect of it very much. Uh, I could imagine that still there's like something like Forspoken and potentially also God of War that would come out mm. this year still. They are not really, I'm not sure whether they confirmed. I think they're slotted for someone 2022. I could imagine that they still come out. Let's hope. Maybe. Maybe we'll end the year on some other big releases. Yeah, I would definitely... That would be a much bigger showcase, I think. God of War Ragnarok, Forspoken. Well, everyone, thank you so very much for listening to our discussion of Summer Game Fest 2022. Please submit your thoughts and questions to studyingpixels.com contact. If you want to support us, you can get Studying Pixels Plus. Just head over to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. Follow us on your podcast app and on social media. See you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.